Hello, I'm Hannah Warmer, violinist and composer, and welcome to season five of my podcast, where I talk to you about the various trials and tribulations of working in the arts and entertainment industry. If you would like to get in touch, feel free to email me assistant at hannahwarmer.online and feel free to follow me wherever you listen to your podcast so you get notifications on the latest episode. It's episode six of the Rosin Diary season five, can you believe it? And today I have Asher Loeb on the podcast, violinist and producer, talking about his career and how he overcame adversity in his professional life. So we're welcoming today's, on our podcast, Asher Lobb. He is a violinist, entrepreneur, and he has an incredible story. So welcome, Asher. Oh, Hannah, thanks so much for having me. And I'm just going to say to all the listeners out there, we are doing this transatlantically. So it is lunchtime here, but it's breakfast time for Asher. Yeah, I got bags under my eyes. Just can't see them. <laughs> Have you got anything for breakfast yet? Do you, oh, have you got a cup of tea or coffee? Um, you know what? I do. Um, it, I don't really have an option. If I skip breakfast, I'm going to have serious problems the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> but I don't have coffee or tea. I have bone broth. Bone broth? Like as in bone marrow? That's right. I'm probably the only person on planet Earth that does this. <laughs> No, no, I, I did made a bone broth the other day just to try it because it's meant to so tell us more about this. It's meant to be like some superfood. For me, it is. Uh, I found it to be um, really just, it, you know, just hypes me up, gets me a lot of energy in the morning in a way that doesn't make me jittery like coffee. So I just keep doing it. I just kind of plug my nose and, and drink and now I'm just used to it. I, I don't see so with mine I added some flavorings but I don't have it for breakfast I had it for like an afternoon snack kind of thing but oh. um yeah so I just because I've read there's so much in bone marrow but I um yeah I bought some bone marrow about a week ago just to try it put it in the slow cooker and put some like herbs and garlic and spice in there so it tastes more spicy than anything oh th th uh, this is so nice to hear from another person. I, I never have this conversation with anybody about, about like a similar paleo type of diet. So, uh, wow, you just made my day. Well, it must be violinist. <laughs> like we're all really yeah. Oh, wow. That just put me in a good mood. But back to why we're here. Mm. So I was particularly interested in you, Asher, because you had a career changing moment in your life, which was a loss of your career briefly, I believe briefly, due to adrenal insufficiency. So could you tell us all a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it was pretty physically debilitating, uh, probably about, uh, I'm trying to remember, 2012, not six, seven years ago. Um, I, I lost just strength in my lower legs and my upper body and uh, everything, but pretty much my brain. And I was just like a practically a vegetable for uh, a number of months. And uh, a lot of it's kind of a blur, but I do know that um, I was 
scared out of my mind the entire period, uh, mostly because I have a family to support and I was unable to do so. But uh, it was a slow burn. I eventually got better and uh, did my own research to figure out how to get better and haven't really changed my daily regimen because um, I, I don't really want to regress and head back to where I was. But I, I got to the point where I'm, I'm strong enough to, uh, as of the last, I'm going to say five, five, six, say five years or so, to, to be a pretty active uh, musician. Really grateful for that experience, at least. This just came to my head now because of the time frame. Did you find um, the pandemic and that slower pace of life, was that beneficial to your health or did that hold you back? Um, I'm going to, that's a real tough question. I'm not even sure how to answer it. I think in many aspects, it was both. It was there were pros and cons. I was definitely stressful the way that the media was sort of yeah, and career-wise, this like situation, and again, you got a family to support. Um, money-wise, I, I, you know, work dropped for me big time, uh, just like it did for a lot of my peers. I'm assuming for you as well. Well, I have a little bit of a different story there, but I'll, I'll yeah, I'll talk about that oh, later. Sorry, right, I didn't mean to digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, things things got uh, yeah pretty hairy during the pandemic. But I, I just because there wasn't any sort of support uh, with them having shut down the entire music industry globally, uh, I, I, I had to take I had to take private events and um, you know, at a point after like many months of just sitting home and just not not earning an income. Um, I don't know if that's the that's the route you went. Well, I was talking more just health wise, because um, one thing I found I, I'm just the eternal optimist. But I found out the pandemic health-wise and things, I got much more into sort of growing my own veg, I had more time for yoga and taking time for my health. So health-wise, I think that was much more of a priority in the pandemic, also because I wanted to stay healthy and not get the virus or not die from the virus. But I found, I wondered if for you, not having the um, that nine to five, that ticking, you know, there was more freedom. Did you find it was beneficial for your health condition? So, guys, unusually, we got cut off there. So we'll continue the interview with Asha. But um, it's nice for everyone, to, you know, to see things in life don't always run smoothly. <laughs> but, <laughs> Literally, yes. <laughs> so, Asha, yeah, what I was talking about was, um, personally, your health, your health condition, was the pandemic, do you think, useful to that, to give you that slower pace of life to actually, con like, think about your health more or was it perhaps did the stress of it actually just make it worse well i'll tell you it, it was stressful uh it was stressful not knowing where my career was going because i felt i was just so shocked that the entire music industry was just shut down like that um and made me wonder well maybe i should have really chosen a different career which i had initially which so just the irony is incredible i have three other degrees in the sciences but <laughs> Uh, it did give me again. There were pros and cons. It did give me the the pros that gave me an opportunity to to really get to know my daughter, who was a pandemic baby, and spend oh. time a lot of quality time with with my family and and that 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 I'm grateful for. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've mentioned this on the podcast in in a, in a past episode, but one thing the pandemic taught me was the importance of diversification. Oh, yeah. Oh. But mm. moving 
back to your let's let's go back to the beginning let's um start from that end so what was your early life growing up what was your how did you find the violin uh well the violin found me <laughs> as my mother said um i i looked up to my brother um who's about six years older than me uh he's a pretty pretty top-notch violinist uh, and he started really young too and I, you know, I told my mother, apparently, according to her, that I wanted to play just like my brother. And, uh, and uh, you know, so she started me off on the, the margarine box uh, with uh, rubber bands wrapped around them. So, you know, serving the strings. And I, you know, so I, was, you know, I had a little tiny finger at the age of two. So uh, that's how I, I learned the positioning. And then I kind of moved, as, as I grew, I, I moved uh, different different sizes of the violin uh, as I, as I learned the Suzuki method up until oh. I got to a full size, full size. Yeah. So you started very, very young, which I think is really great because the violin is probably one of the most physically demanding instruments. And I feel like as long as parents aren't pushy, it's a very, it's a very natural way to learn very young. You can learn the physicality of the instrument without any pressure on you. But whereas people start later on, they've got a lot of catching up to do because it, it's so physical. Yeah, it is very physical to say the least. And it was especially for me and my, I guess my genetic predisposition, whatever you want to call it, because um, it, it really took a toll on on my health. Um you know, just like sort of the position, just the, the awkward positioning of the instrument does not lend itself to, to supporting the back too well. And, and even with proper positioning, which I was taught uh, for many decades, uh, it just, it, it, it's very strenuous on the back and the spine, spinal alignment and neck and so forth. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I could talk forever about that. I don't, I don't think I want to bore you guys to death, but. Uh, Why is that yoga? Are you into that kind of thing? Because you're quite into wellness and health, um, sort of what you put in your body. Have you ever tried any yoga? Yeah, I, I have tried yoga, um, weightlifting. I, I would say weightlifting uh, has helped. I've done that pretty extensively. Um, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's very time consuming. Yoga is, is also helpful. You're stretching and strengthening. Um, I have not been so committed to it in recent years, um, I guess because of the time factor. But um, th there's also a danger to, to overstretching if you don't do it correctly. And um, yeah, I, I'm um, hypermobile, so I have to watch. I do a lot of yoga, but I have to watch. Um, but I feel like if you if you do it properly, you shouldn't ever overextend. But I, yeah. I have a tendency. My elbows bend the wrong way and everything. <laughs> mm. uh, well, I know a number of yoga teachers who actually ended up going to physical therapists because they had they were hyperextending. <laughs> so that's, yeah. you know, like if you're a yoga teacher and you're teaching classes, like you shouldn't expect to be having difficulty. But I guess these are people who were predisposed to having weaker muscles as well. Um, I was, I've been told, one good advice I've been given by a yoga teacher is like to create beautiful lines. Like, so mm. when your joints are overextending, you can, you know, like if, if you're creating beauty with your positions and you're not overextending, um, like, so when my elbows mm. overextend, the point, you know, there's some clear jagged elbows going on. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that th- that would be me. I mean, I, I, you know what? I I don't know too many too many folks that mix yoga with weightlifting, but I feel like the the one or two people that I met that that do both, like instructors, they're you know they're they're like well built, and and they're sort of loose and relaxed. I you know if I had the time, I would really do both pretty regularly. Okay, can I can I just say something? <laughs> my um, you can check this out on my Instagram. It is true. I do weightlifting mm-hmm. and yoga. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so yeah, wow. How do you like that? What's the coincidence? That and the I, bone broth thing. I'm, my mind is blown. <laughs> I only used to do yoga, but um, since after pandemic, when I went back to my gym, I got given free um, personal trainer vouchers. And I, I'm British, so I don't turn down anything free. But I've never really stepped foot in a gym, like the weightlifting bits of it. I just use the gym for yoga or sunbathing or something. But they, um, they, it, what was they said was, especially for women, that we lose muscle mass and bone density um, pretty much over the age of 25. So mm. it's osteoporosis, arthritis, all stuff like that. So I now incorporate and I quite like it. But I never did it until um, 2020. Very interesting. Uh, so basically a pandemic period. That's that's when you kind of got into that. Yes, going when the gyms opened in the UK, that's when I, I went back and there's like, here's some personal trainer vouchers. I was like, yeah, I'll use those, whatever. Ah. Yeah, I, I I haven't had a chance to like go to go to a gym in a number of years. I just sort of have like a small weight set um, in my studio and and you know, just I don't know. I, I have like an aerodyne bike. Um, I'm pretty, so you keep it up regularly? Yeah, well, um, I live in the countryside just outside of London, but I use the, my gym, it's actually a health and wellness place. No, health, health is, is something, it's a, it's a health, um, club. And so I go, mm-hmm. I, pre-pandemic, I just went there for yoga, outside swimming, sunbathing, that kind of thing. And there's loads of clubs like book club, but I go mm-hmm. there about three to five times a week. But it's also for me because I wow. live in the countryside. I get to see people. <laughs> oh wow! You like you live a life. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not quite. I don't. I'm not quite blessed to be in the countryside, but I'm. I'm in the suburbs, which I consider to be a huge, huge move step up from the city. To be honest, I. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad I moved out of there. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Mm. In upstate the- New York. In upstate New York, in the suburbs, and um, that's why I guess it was especially painful to live in the city for a decade, uh, because I just felt like it was like a loss of freedom. Um, even though that's not like the culture, it's like the culture there is. Wow, look at how how rich and and enriched. I mean, culturally enriching this experience is. You know, we got we got you know to live in the city. We have Broadway down the street and like museums galore. Um, and I felt that way until I moved out, and I was like, wow. Um, I'm never going back. It is like that. When I talk to city people, they can walk. Everything's in walking distance. Whereas in the countryside, mm-hmm. I have to drive to lots of places. But I am. I'm just naturally. I need chill. I need calm. I need to not hear other people all the time. Um, one yeah. thing for my listeners, I, I brought this up recently. A part of the community that listens to this podcast quite a bit, but and lots of people agreed. I'm the second child, and I'm. I grew up in the suburbs and I said, no one really stays in the suburbs. They ever go to the city or they go to the country and first children, I feel always end up living in the city and second children end up going to the country. Is your older brother living in a city? 
Uh, that's interesting. So kind of like a mix. Well, I have two older brothers and a younger yeah. sister. Um, so my oldest brother is living in like a city type of, yeah, like Tel Aviv area in Israel. Oh, wow. Um, and he, yeah, yeah this, is, this is a really long story. I didn't even, like he, he lived in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Um, and so he sort of lived in the city there. Actually, in the suburbs and then the city. Now we moved out to the city. He's been there for, he's got a family there for, for many, many years now. And uh, my other brother lived in the city, lived in Queens, and then he moved out to like, he went to Ethiopia, again, really long story. So that's pretty much more or less the countryside. And now, and then he moved to like Bulgaria, where his, his wife's from, um, which is very much in the countryside. So. Ah, so, but uh, he's a second child, the first child went city. <laughs> we've we've all been through both, the city uh, and the country. So I can't, I can't narrow it down to your family. Because when I said it, I feel like that loads of people said, yes, that's true in my family. So I was like, is this, uh, now I'm doing scientific research on it. <laughs> oh, as, as you should. It's a fascinating thing. Um, <laughs> I would probably be an outlier to most of your research <laughs> in many, many different aspects. That I being said, I did, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, most people I asked, it was only two siblings in the family, whereas you've got four. Yeah. And, but I only have two kids now, so that's all, oh, well, all I can handle at the moment. Yeah. Um, so moving back, honestly, I, I digress all the time on this podcast, but oh, so you no started problem. young, and then I'm presuming you went to what we call in England uni, university, but you call it college, and I'm guessing you did mm -hmm. science there. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did, I basically got three degrees in the sciences. And the reason why, as opposed to music, by the way, all while I was working my way through, through college, I was, I was working my way as a musician through college. So I was, I was a professional musician from the, the, the day I stepped foot in New York. Um, yeah. and I did like a thousand gigs over the span of like uh, I'm going to say a decade while I went through all those degrees because, you know, nobody else was paying my bills. But um, yeah, I got the reason why I went for the sciences instead of instead of like a degree in music probably gets get some people upset is because I was thinking, well, my I have extensive experience and education in music just through or playing with orchestras and um, just through private lessons, um, literally just every week of my life since I was two. So I figured I'm, I might as well aim to get something that, well, I was interested in the sciences. So that was obviously why I chose that path. But, but just from like a stab stability standpoint, I felt like that would be a prudent direction to go career-wise. For, I've mentioned this on my podcast before, um, what is the relevance or the need for a music degree? Um, and the, I mean, there's pros and cons to it. I mean, obviously, well, I I did get one, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, and it makes sense. I I it definitely makes sense to get one. But there if is that's your. Some, I don't know. I mean, there's. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's the only way to do things because I mean, the pros are. Um, I got to specialist. I went to a conservatoire, a music college, I think you call it in America. And the yeah. special permission from people I looked up to, to have that entry to people I've admired from a distance for a long time and get, uh, and to learn from them, that's really beneficial. Um, and then yeah. I think 
also the standard of orchestras there and the experiences and the concert halls you can play in that's very beneficial and also mm -hmm. the connections is beneficial mm -hmm. but i yeah. feel the downside to music degrees i'd say they're very lacking in actually teaching people how to earn a living um <laughs> Considering yeah. most jobs are self-employed, they don't actually give you much business sense. I did one module on music business, and really it was just teaching me about record contracts and things. It wasn't actually teaching you about entrepreneurship or growing a business and what is needed for it. So I think that's very lacking. So I feel like if people want, if people who want to get a music Oh, sorry. Oh, I lost you there. I lost you there for some reason, maybe because my... Okay. My phone went uh, to sleep. I don't know. So, so yeah, we once again we've cut out. I have no idea what's going on with Anchor FM today. I will be emailing them later. But as I was saying, I'll just recap a bit just in case Asha missed some of that. So I've mentioned the positives. The downside, I think, music entrepreneurship, the fact that you are self-employed and running your own business, they do teach you a bit about tax returns and things, but they don't teach you how to grow a business um how to set business plans um how to branch out the idea of diversification various forms of income they don't really teach you anything about that really and the way i learned to grow myself as a musician and, and my business as a musician was really through like youtube tutorials and um, podcasts from other online business owners and um, mainly they're not in the music industry. I don't take much music industry advice, really. Um, mm. I listen to business owners that have businesses similar to music, that mm. you know, their advice can affect me and can help me. But the business advice tends to be a little bit skewed. And it tends to be oh, about yeah. being as opposed to... I, I see myself as running a small business, you know, like the same as like a corner shop or a, um perhaps a bath you know like a bath or beauty shop or something like that i've, mm -hmm. I've got the same recurring customers who like my product and they come back mm -hmm. and yeah. that's well, which is a phenomenon yeah which i think is a beautiful thing um and i hope it continues to, to grow in that direction because i i feel like people you know they, they work really hard in corporate america um, why not work equally as hard and just, you know, for yourself, that's sort of how I, I feel. Um, I mean, just having, having had two other careers, um, I like, I, I, I feel really um, rewarded. Just, I, I find that it's very rewarding being, being a musician. It's challenging. Um, it's, it's a bit of like, a, I don't know if the word is black box. It's, it's, um, it's a bit unpredictable. But it's just it's uh, but so is working in the corporate world. Yeah, you know, I know so many people that work their tail off and then they kind of switch jobs every year. Um, just it's just it seems very stressful. So if you're going to be stressed out. Why not just be stressed out doing something that you love? Yeah, I feel like you have to have two different brains. Um, one brain, I had to, the music brain, the creative brain, but yeah. actually yeah, quite creative running a business, to be honest. But yeah. I. I I have to organize my life quite well and yeah. switch between the business side of things and then going into the studio and creating art. So yeah. you create you create with an open mind without any 
corporate ideas in your head and then once you've created whatever you're doing then mm. you have to get into business mode and make sure you got some customers for that <laughs> yeah and it's not and 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 a lot of folks um who are who are independent musicians they don't really understand that it's business and they sort of like learn the hard way and and, and even the, those who do understand that it's a business, they don't necessarily know how to run it. And like you mentioned, the conservatories, one of the reasons why I didn't go there is because I, I, didn't, I didn't get the feeling that I was going to learn how to, how to earn a living as a musician. Definitely. Mostly because I was seeing a lot of, what's that? You definitely don't. <laughs> Mostly because I was, I was seeing a lot of, a lot of top-notch musicians I knew from upstate uh, who all went to Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music. And they ended up, a lot of them ended up being teachers. These are like, you know, these the are best the, best. the best of the best that I knew that growing up um, that I, I, again, I, I was with them doing Suzuki workshops at the age of three and we all went through the same steps and they, they decided to go off, off to Juilliard and Manhattan school of music and so forth. And Curtis, um, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, to each his own, like, you know, I don't think there's like a right way or a wrong way. That was just sort of the decision that I made. And um, I don't even know in retrospect if I necessarily made the right decision. Cause now I'm, it's like a, I'm doing this full throttle, the full-time career and it's hard to know. Uh, but it is what it is. And I did it. And here I am. Making the best of it. Any use looking back on life and saying, did I make the right decision or the wrong decision? It was the path you made. It's the path you chose. And, you know, you live with what you got. There's pros and benefits from the path you chose. And if you chose to do it a different way, there'd be benefits from that. But no path is perfect, is it? No, not for me. <laughs> Everything's a learning <laughs> experience. <laughs> um, but I, I'm grateful for the a lot of the experiences that I've that I've had as a result of, of making the transition into music. And ironically, my, my family didn't really, they were surprised when I made it a career, which is just sort of like my response was really like, you're surprised you started me out as, as, a, as in diapers. So, you know, it shouldn't really surprise you that this is what I do full time. Um, my family was the same. They wanted me to be a vet. <laughs> oh. I disappointed them. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's not easy being a vet, that's for sure. My, I mean, my family, I come from quite a science background and I was pretty good at science at school and I, I get on with animals. So like, you'd be a vet from, you know, like from a young age, be a vet. And then I surprised them going to music college. Oh, that's funny. We have way too much in common. Yeah. <laughs> my, my dad, my dad's a paleontologist. So um, oh, wow. I grew up on a paleontological excavation, like during the summers and digging up fossils and, and the mastodon bones. And it's quite an experience. Oh, wow. Amazing. So yeah. let's get back on track, but don't worry. Yeah. The listeners are keeping me going everywhere with this podcast. Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did you decide to make, so you got your degrees, uh, you got a career based in science. I presume was it straight after college you decided to go into music? No, actually I went to music the, I, well, I started doing music professionally the day I got to New York pursuing a science degree. But I, I was also in the music department. I was taking courses in, in music, so I yeah. wasn't entirely ignoring that's, it. That's something people forget, actually, um, that 
at many, many universities, if you choose the right one, there's really, really good music departments and you're still getting that music education here in the UK, Oxford and Cambridge University. People um, who are academically very good, who want to please their family, they often yeah. go and do a regular degree in Oxford or Cambridge, do all the music department, and then afterwards do their master's at a music college. Oh, that's cool. So they, you know, they get the family prestige and get the Oxford or Cambridge, whatever degree wanted, and then they go and do what they actually wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, got to cross off those. You guys got to check those boxes uh, before you move on. I, well, I took a number of courses because I sort of wanted to, like, why not? You know, why not take advantage of it? And, and I was doing professional gigs, so I, I wanted to play with a bunch of talented musicians who were, who were in the, the college. Uh, and there were some, some good professors there. So I did take a number of music, music courses, albeit not just like a, but, but I, didn't, I didn't get the full degree, you know, in, yeah. in, in music theory. But I, did, I took a bunch of music theory courses, jazz, uh, ensemble, classical performance, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I did, I, I did do it. I didn't do the music uh, path. That's the only thing you're going to get out of music college anyway. So <laughs> some yeah. of it's, the, the good bits are the bits that you say you got from where you, where you got your degree. So there's absolutely no different, I think. So when did the impacts of adrenal insufficiency start to show? Um, I, I keep forgetting the year, but I think it was about seven, eight years ago. Um, so let's see, two, 2006. I got to look back at the chronology. I, I honestly try to forget it, but I keep talking about it at interviews or these days. So um, I eventually get the actual dates right. Um, it was it was after I I think it was in the midst of my um, after I finished my master's at NYU um, at, at NYU Steinhardt. Uh, so it was like a year or two later, and I had already been a teacher in the DOE for a bunch of years, and and I had actually done it because I had I had persistent back problems, but. Once I kind of, and the reason why, why I actually went into teaching was because I couldn't physically hold the instrument up, but, uh, but I was able to teach and, and think. Was some kind of repetitive strain or something like that, I'm guessing? Like at the yeah. back of your mind, just like, I'm overusing or I'm using the wrong technique or whatever, perhaps? Well, I mean, I learned the correct technique over many, many years from uh, an Ivan Galamian student uh, at, at, at um you know, um, Thomas Halpin was his name. And, you know, he was, you know, he, he, he knew what he was doing and then he taught me proper positioning, although he wasn't like a physical therapist and I needed something much deeper than that. Adrenal insufficiency popped in around, yeah, I'm saying know, 2011, 2012. I want to mislead people with the wrong information, but it was around that time. And it said, fortunately, you covered it all. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was progressive over many many years. It didn't just suddenly set in. You know, I I was diagnosed with an inflammatory condition, uh, like four or five years prior to that. So those were the signs. Those were definitely the signs. And 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 I had to, when I was playing in orchestras for hours, I you know I, I wasn't able to hold my instrument up in a sustained manner, uh, the way everybody around me was. And I didn't I didn't think it was I didn't think much of it. So kind of it was a, it was a long long path down adrenal insufficiency status up until I just really just lost excuse me my ability to stand but you know I 
if I if I could just kind of relay any any form of inspiration, I don't I, I don't know exactly what your listeners what what, what their background what their background is, but um, I'm going to say that persistence and just like a will to to get better was uh, definitely um, something in retrospect. It was it was the best approach for me because it did get me better, and I wasn't supposed to get better. Poor in my positions, so. Definitely. Oh really? No, I wasn't. I was supposed to be on a permanent dosage of Cortef, and uh, me, I'm not good with medication. What is Cortef? It basically to support to supplement for what your adrenals adrenal glands are not producing, which is essentially not not enough cortisol. I see. And, I have heard. Of yeah, and uh, if you're not producing enough cortisol, you're in trouble. <laughs> and that was pretty much my story. And, um, you know, once you get to a certain dosage, they say you really, you got to stay on it for, for life. And the, the symptoms are pretty horrendous also. So, but well, that's so you managed to from diet now. Yeah, that's how I made my adjustments, but, um, I have to be very careful about what I eat. It, you know, with it, when you have an inflammatory condition, you have to, you have to really listen to your body. You have to know what causes flare-ups systemically uh otherwise you could end up with another bout um i have been consistently i'm gonna say healthy for 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 me um for i'm gonna say almost a decade now wow um wow. and that's that's as a result of being extra careful with my body now i don't know if I'll, if i may end up in in a similar situation down the road it's uh, um it's a little bit anxiety inducing for me but i i think it's safe to say that i'm i'm good to go for quite a while here um yeah and so what dietary changes do is it like a high vegetable diet or more protein what kind of do you have, so i'm very into health and fitness so yeah. i'm really curious yeah um well since you volunteered the yeah, well, I, since you asked the question, I'm, I'm happy to volunteer. I generally don't volunteer that information because I don't like advocating certain um, regiments to like a broad spectrum of, of listeners because people could end up going down the wrong, wrong route for their body. Um, this is and just for disclaimer, this is just absolutely what works for Asha, and he's not advocating everyone else adopt this. But out of curiosity, I would like yeah. to know. Yeah, no, I just I had to just say that because uh, there there may be some whatever doctors on the phone who are like, oh, that's that's a bunch of gibberish. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I so what I do is is generally paleo esque in nature. Um, I do a bunch of other stuff also, but uh, more or less what what has helped me is is naturopathic slash slash alternative medical modalities of treatment. Um, avoiding foods that have been that have caused flare-ups for me um i i'm on a very high fat low carb um high What's protein the type like of diet keto. keto yeah ketogenesis type of yeah so I'm, ru I'm running off of fats for the most part um this is the first time i really shared this with the public i think so this is actually really oh. interesting um i make sure to stay hydrated um like right now. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, electrolyte imbalances can, can cause a, a lot of issues too. Um, this just being one of the things that could, that could lead you down the wrong, the wrong route. 
So um, identifying your, you know, your electrolytes, you could be really high in magnesium, low in calcium, that type of stuff. That's also important to know. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I can go on forever. I just, I, I don't know how much information you want to hear. I, my so I was wondering, are you fruit and veg? Do you have quite a lot of nutrients in your diet, like fruits and veg, or is it more the fats and proteins? Um, so interestingly enough, it's it's more the fats and proteins for me, but that you can do too much of you can end up something I learned in nursing school, one of my many degrees, uh, is that nutritional imbalance leads is is a can lead to many different to to a range of diseases, and in this country there isn't enough attention paid to that, uh, or I guess enough focus on the studies that identify in nutritional imbalance. But, but I found that to be a common theme with many diseases, like long-term nutritional imbalance. So for me, um, it's, you know, it's dangerous to just say, okay, um, for the rest of my life, only high fat, only high protein. I have to listen to my body. And when something feels off or, you know, I'm not checking my blood pressure or my weight or something like that, um, it's easy to end up in the, end up going down, down a bad path. So I don't ignore uh, vegetables and fruits. Whole foods are, are, I would say, the common denominator here. Whole foods, yeah. I try to avoid processed foods as much as possible. I do the same. Um, just like even my um, meats and – so basically all my own veg and fruit I grow myself. But meats and eggs, dairy, I try to know exactly where it's come from. And because I'm in the countryside, I try to get locally and know it's organic. Hmm. Oh, that's God bless you. That is just, I have so much admiration for folks that are able to grow their own food. And I wish my persimmon tree would have made it through last, last year's situation, but I don't know, it was five years of doing, producing a lot of fruit and I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a green thumb. I guess you do. <laughs> I do. It's, it's a trial and error thing. I like it because it's a life lesson. You can just go through one year and there's been like a blight or there's been too much sun or we had tornadoes earlier this year and it blows them all away. It destroyed a greenhouse. And oh. yeah, that is that, in, in a very minor way, though, it teaches me that lesson to just dust yourself off and do it all again. It's like, you know, like it doesn't harm me if it goes wrong, but it's a lesson for bigger things in life that, you know, dust yourself off. Let's try again. Oh, that's so interesting. So, well, I, I mean, you got a very uh, resilient personality i mean good for you i don't think, i think i think yeah it's just gradually being developed i think i'm naturally optimistic but resilience has grown with life experience incredible i feel like i should be inter interviewing you <laughs> well back to you anyway so you're you're better now and you've got atlantis your new single came out on the 29th of july yeah yeah it's out um it's it's kind of undergoing its campaign um, rollout, which is a, it's a whole process. But uh, yeah, it's out. Music video is out. It's on most major platforms. And uh, it's, you know, I've been fundraising among some fans <clears> that they earn royalties off of the streaming. Uh, it's still about seven days left for anybody who wants to get in. Um, I'll put the link. Uh, where are you sharing that link uh, of fundraising? Oh, is that... Oh, is it on your Instagram or is it on your website? It's yeah, it's it's in um, 
Yeah, link in bio in my Instagram. It says it's uh, found.asherlob.com slash Atlantis one. Uh, and I can okay. Yeah, no, I will link to your Instagram. Yeah. Then people can follow you there and also go to link in the bio. Yeah, that's right. On my Instagram. Um, you, you'll see that link right there. And, and it sends you to the landing page where you can pretty much um, consume Atlantis in any form that you're interested in uh, via watching it on YouTube, investing in the song and earning royalties off of it. Uh, there's a link at the top. And then, and then um, purchasing or streaming um, the song on all major platforms like uh, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Oh, wow, that's absolutely amazing. And also, again, this is the sort of thing, the way that you're funding it yourself. Uh, it's both entrepreneurial, but also allowing your community to have a little part of that. And I'm going to say that's the stuff we don't learn about in music degrees. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of grassroots. Um, it, it's it's not easy. Uh, and I do these rollouts. Well, I, I, I do these rollouts just about every month. I release a, a single every month, um, sort of just to keep, keep my fan base engaged and interested. And, but, uh, I don't, I don't always fundraise. I do that maybe once or twice a year. Um, yeah. for, for songs I'm really passionate about or you know, are original that I kind of want to submit for awards. Um, but not, not so much for covers. Okay. Um, and I was going to say upcoming performances. You're uh, based on the East Coast of the States. I know some people on this podcast are on the East Coast, but it's a big oh. place at East Coast. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Do you have any upcoming like public performances, not private ones? Well, I, you know, I, I don't I don't just stay on the East Coast. I, you know, get get calls in um, L.A. and Texas and Florida and that type of stuff. Um, I've been focusing more or less on on like corporate type type events and you know some weddings recently um just to stay local just for my kid but yeah i do do have some some festivals brewing uh that i can't announce now uh but but yeah i mean i, I what i try to do is I, I try to post them on on my spotify um whenever they come up and then they you know or on my um bands in town so People are welcome to kind of click the like the sign up link on um, it's it's like a follow link on Bands in Town. Um, okay. If they wanna, if they wanna. Well, I was gonna say easier for the audience if they if anyone wants to follow you on Instagram or go to your Instagram page, which I'm putting the link up, that will lead they they'll be able to get to your Spotify through there. I'm expecting, and then they can just follow you on Spotify, and then every time you have a concert coming up, they'll be notified in their emails. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I. I, I keep getting calls from from all these these clubs in in Manhattan, and uh, they keep conflicting with like private events. That, and I kind of have to go where the money's at right now. So unless it's like I, a larger festival, I'm really not gonna take. I the was gig. gonna say I was gonna say this corporate events are <laughs> are the kind of the the good place. Now, one thing I was gonna bring up to you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm proposing to you because many listeners of this podcast love this platform. So um, pre-pandemic, I performed, there's an online a virtual concert platform called Stage It. I performed once every three months or so for audience, well, uh, fans abroad who I wouldn't be playing near them in their hometown. Oh, yeah. So once every three months, people around the world could watch me. As the pandemic started, I really upped my stage it game. Um, 
and to four shows a week and people mm -hmm. absolutely love the stage it shows from september 2020 i had the wi-fi at my home and my studio because i'm in the countryside we finally got fiber in there fiber optic which means it's really fast and now i do Thanks. green screen shows like re really advanced technology green screen shows and I've just reached my 500th show on there, but they are a huge concert platform um, with a great audience. And I am the only violinist um, in the whole on the whole of stage yet. There's a concert pianist who's my friend, Daniel Roberts. I'm friends with so many artists on there. We've become friends over the last two years. But it's I do four shows, sometimes five a week, because I do one at 1 a.m. my time for people who want to watch on a Sunday evening in the States. But hmm. I would really love to invite you to try uh, Stage It if you checked it out at any point. I know the audience here will be like, yes, we want to see you play on Stage It. <laughs> um, but if you want to check it out anytime, please like feel free to get in touch with me. I can show you how to set up an account. And if you want to do a concert there like once a month or once a week or whatever, because it's a really, really wonderful way to engage your audience. They basically watch on laptop. I, I am a big audience member of Stage It. I watch a few shows a week and I stream it to my TV or I watch in the hot tub. This is my new thing. I outside. Oh. I run stage at parties in my garden for friends, and we've got a um, outdoor projector. Watch from the hot tub. It's a really great platform, oh. and I wondered if you'd like to check it out because it's a it's a great way to engage international an international audience. You know, I so I'm really glad you brought this up because I I did a stage at equivalent. I can't even remember what the name is. Um, I've explored Moment. all these. What's that? Moment House. Uh, no, I, I I'll come up with the name. Uh, I'll remember the name in in probably a few minutes. It's just that the name escapes me at the moment. But I did a number of months, um, over the last year, uh, of of live streaming performances on like dedicated platforms, and um, I didn't I didn't find it to be so useful like I, I didn't find like i found that i was playing live to very few people and they just sort of like the platform just sort of wanted to monetize my own audience on my other platforms and i just felt like why don't i just go live on facebook that's what i do regularly and then they send stars it is very very different because i i branched out from stage it to try other ones it's not the same i've even done it on my website stage it is very very different um yeah. it's um, the audience are very live and enjoy. That's why I watch it myself as a fan because I really like the platform. It's just so interactive. It's so vibrant, the audience and community. In fact, many of the people listening to my podcast now are from Stage It. So it's, really? it's yeah, it's, it's a really vibrant community. Once we get off air, I'll talk to you a little bit more about it actually because oh. – um, I would really, and I'd love to see another violinist on there, but it's a really, really wonderful community. And I couldn't, I, in fact, I'm not going back to my live concerts, uh, concerts so much, uh, favouring stage it over. I'm doing two shows, one in September, one in October, but I'm not really rushing back live because I favour the stage it shows over live shows. But also I compose for film, so stage it fits in really well with film because I don't have to travel so much for concerts. That that's amazing. I I have to tell you, I, I'm so glad I've spoken with you. Um, I, I uh, that that was really my my goal. Like throughout the pandemic, I was thinking, okay, uh, you know, I I really want to just monetize live streaming, uh, but it just wasn't. 
it wasn't working too well. It was just like I was making way more from live events. Um, but I, I always kind of dreamed of of doing live stream concerts instead of having to do like a world tour. Um, just mostly because of my family. Um, but it didn't seem it just just seems like there are like a lot of people who just kind of want to watch for free and and that's it. Like there's no way to really monetize and they're not even buying a whole lot of merch. But um, what I really like about Stage it is they do this thing which you wouldn't think would work, and it's called pay what you can. So you can choose to set a price. Some artists do like fifteen dollars a show, but you can do pay what you can. And a lot of artists, and it works better the pay what you can. So you do a suggested price of what you think people should pay for ticket, but people can pay what they choose, and then they tip on top. They it's like a really lovely community where if people can't afford the show, they can hitch a ride and other people buy them tickets and stuff. And it really, really works. That kind of if you charge if you I found on other platforms, if you charge a certain amount for tickets, people I don't know, I don't know if I want to pay that. Is it worth the money? A live stream concert it's not a real concert. Whereas stage it that allowing people to pay what they can giving something back to them often then they give something back to someone else it's this continuous pay it forward kind of attitude hmm. and it uh, does it's i yeah. love the idea i love the idea um i you know maybe i maybe i'll give it a shot again and it might you know might work this time but <laughs> yeah it's free after this podcast i'd love to zoom with you just for oh, five yeah. minutes to <laughs> yeah let's chat would love to but we're coming to the end of the podcast. You already gave us a few life lessons, but from all your experiences in life, and there's so many from choosing art over science, even though I would say music is both art and science, um, oh, yeah. to, to getting over debilitating physical illness, what are the life lessons you could tell us all? Um, I, think, I think being patient with yourself um even if you're in the midst of a really challenging situation is uh being being self-forgiving and i think is a is very much a skill that can be developed and I, i'm still developing that skill and and i think it's beneficial for the long run because if you just sort of like beat yourself up over maybe making the wrong decisions or or ending up in in a tough place you know you're you're just it, it makes it that much more difficult to recover uh and i think that it's that I, I think that 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 having an optimistic type of mentality can really can really get you places, uh, despite unbelievable challenges, and and that that's helped me get to where I am today. So hopefully, wow. some folks no, find some inspiration from that. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Asha, and thank you for being a guest on this podcast today. Oh, what a pleasure. And I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, no worries. Could be my end. <laughs> and I'll chat to you later on after the podcast. And from everyone at home, I'm sure they're all saying thank you too. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Hannah Woolmer, and thank you for listening to Season 5 of my podcast, The Rosin Diaries. I hope that you're happy wherever you listen to the podcast and make sure share it with friends. Tell them all about it if this is your go-to podcast of choice.